0: welcome to your transformation station station
1: because often what we find with with um, couples we tend to find that they fall in love with the potential of the person and the potential of the relationship and all of a sudden you know, the main issues um in terms of arguments and disagreements in relationships is they're not matching their expectations of their partner
0: We're tapping in to surpassing expectations from the most successful people in the modern day and honing in on new foresight, methodologies, and clairvoyance you never knew. This is your Transformation Station with your host, Greg Favaza.
2: Okay, can you hear me okay?
1: I can, loud and clear.
2: Okay, fantastic here. All right, so you have a business, and it's focused around loving with intention.
1: No. <laughs> wait, wait. Wait. It's love with intelligence. Love but... with
2: intelligence. Yes, I totally butchered that. That's all right. That's okay. I'll own it. It's. I. I feel like people should be doing that. Is loving with intention, but you. I like that. Loving with intelligence. And why I like this so much and why I had to have you on was because you're partnered with somebody that I really enjoyed reading his work. I mean, I I mean, I have it right here. Okay.
1: you got one of the, their, um, uh, the originals. <laughs>
2: yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I read it when I was active duty and holy cow, it... It helped Mm -hmm. me with my experiences. It helped me understand the people that were in my life. They weren't good people. I I would always fall victim to the wrong types of people because my social upbringing kind of played an impact on how I was. And there was a lot of trial and error and tribulations that I had to to go through to understand that those were not good people to begin with. It had nothing to Mm -hmm. do with me. But... Not about me tell me about your brand identity and and what can you teach our audience today?
1: Yeah so we run a company called Love with Intelligence and we support people to be able to meet the right one uh, through behavioral psychology, behavioral profiling and what we will be going through today is understanding um, narcissists, body language yes. and how to meet the one through being able to use profiling in terms of compatibility.
2: Interesting. So, how did you start this? Let's go into that first.
1: Yeah. So, actually, originally, my background was in accountancy. So, uh, I used to actually work for the Fortune 500 companies, international companies, and uh, I was a group accountant. So, this wasn't even on my radar uh, yeah. when I first started my career. And Cut a long story short, I went through some pretty horrific relationships. So, you know, narcissistic relationships. One was yes. four times psychopathic, mm-hmm. I was four for five years. You know, it got to the point like after the relationship ended, I was like thinking about where was I parking my car in the car park at work and, you know, exit strategies and all this crazy stuff. And it got me thinking like, okay, well, I'll say that relationship was no good. How do I avoid going through that situation again? And more importantly, how do I um, actually prepare myself to be able to go into a relationship that's that's healthy and long-lasting? And uh, basically went into different relationships after that. And uh, there was a relationship that ended and I thought I was in the perfect relationship. You know, got the four bedroom house, got the two brand new Mercedes on the drive, both got great jobs. You know, we thought, okay, cool. We've got this foundation that we're building together. And then all of a sudden, within a weekend, it was gone. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, great. Well, I obviously haven't found the the right relationship yet. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking more about how do I actually create the life that I want? And also, how do I get the relationship that I want to get? So in a year, I actually retrained. I became a NLP trainer, a hypnotherapist, a life coach. Um, I set up my business. And I did all this within one year, um, whilst also working full time as well. And uh, it was just like one of those crazy years. But what I actually realized was that even though I had all these skill sets where it's like, okay, you can build up confidence, build up self-worth, get rid of all these beliefs and values and all these different things. It made me realize it still didn't matter in terms of being able to meet the right one. So, for example, you know, if you have a narcissist come into your life, um uh, I usually use the metaphor of like, if you've got a wolf that has a look at this sheep with great self-worth and self-confidence, the wolf doesn't think, oh, I'm not going to eat that sheep. Yeah. You know, the wolf is like, gonna do what the wolf wants to do, and we've got no control over that. But what we do have control of is being able to actually identify, um, a, you know, a narcissist or a dangerous character, and also to understand what we can do about it as well. So, this is where I actually started doing a lot of work with Chase, and we actually developed a course uh, around identifying and disarming narcissists, which is freaking awesome. Awesome. And um, because she kind of to say no to a narcissist, oh my gosh, it doesn't work. Um, uh, and uh, so we developed this course. And the other side of what we did is we actually developed um, one of his trainings on being able to profile people within six minutes or less to being able to help people to use that in terms of um, uh, compatibility and finding a good a partner for a long lasting relationship. So re- the reason we find that a lot of relationships don't last long is because there's an issue of the compatibility side of things from the very beginning.
2: Yes. So that's
1: kind of how I fell into wow. doing crazy okay. work. And, and now the majority of my clients will actually meet the one within three months of working together.
2: That's really interesting. So how many people have you been working with and... What issues do you get? Do you address in a consultation first, or do they just kind of go out there and start doing like trial and error, or do you really like hit oh down gosh, on something? No, do
1: trial and error, no, it's like wasting time for people. Yeah. So I've worked—I don't know the exact number, but I know I've worked with over a hundred people in the last three years, and. Um, Yeah, one of the main things that we dive into is actually understanding their pattern. You know, what's currently going on for them? So, for example, are they going for people who are emotionally unavailable? Are they going for cheaters? Are they going into relationships and they're finding that they're doing a weird two or three year cycle with each of their relationships? It's understanding those patterns because those patterns are actually more deeply ingrained than you actually think. Yeah. So, what we find that with these kind of patterns, it actually, it actually comes from childhood. Yes. So, when we're Get a us. child, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when we're a child, we actually obviously form our identity between the ages of zero and seven. But what actually happens is we actually create our, our role as well through our identity and also the emotions that we'd like to feel. So, for example, if we've been conditioned to be the people pleaser and, you know, the goody two-shoes, or we've been conditioned to be the the victim, the only way you get attention is through falling over and hurting your knee, or you get conditioned in terms of being praised up for being highly independent, you're going to find that that is going to be a huge theme throughout your relationships and also your work life, your friendships, and absolutely everything that you do. So it's finding out that pattern, and uh, also understanding how we can actually that heal it, or how we can get it to work for you in terms of finding a compatible partner that's going to work for you.
2: That's really interesting. With my research, yes, it comes down to our social upbringing, that that our experiences, whether we experience trial an error or just some sort of trauma plays an impact in our day. And a lot of us still either are running from it or just chosen not to address it. But that is the root of how we handle ourselves. And I believe that we need to look at that first and understand why did it happen and come to a neutral perspective. And that will allow us to become vulnerable and start displaying authenticity.
1: Yeah. And I think as well, people assume that it's a lot to do with trauma. It's a lot to do with the, the level of conditioning that you have as a child, because every behavior has a positive and negative intent. And what that means is every behavior that we display has something that we're working towards in terms of like feeling good and something that we're moving away from. And it's the same, We, we this, this level of conditioning is actually what we get taught from our parents. Yes. So often we, yeah. when we do things, we have the voice of our parents in our heads as a level of programming and the way that we should actually act and react and, and play out our role within the world. And obviously that has a huge impact on everything that we do.
0: Yes,
2: no, I agree. And I can definitely caveat that with being in the military, they program my mind to That just to experience that agentic shift automatically when they need me to just execute orders. Like it's auto, it's crazy how that happens. And to this day, I believe if somebody were to yell at ease, I would just spring up into position of attention or something or or at at ease. So yeah. But uh, no, that's really interesting with relationships. How can we or for people who are dating and wants to be in a relationship is over these types of individuals that just keep coming. What. What factors can they look for and how can they watch out and avoid these types of people?
1: Yeah. So what we tend to find is the main common um thing that people tend to look out for is like narcissist na- oh, sorry narcissists and what i mean by a true narcissist is not this buzzword that everyone everyone's talking about thank you, it's, thank you. yeah cuz i know like you know people they say overuse this,
2: like, it they and say it the all the thing. time yeah, yes you know?
1: <laughs> so what it actually is is uh, a true narcissist is someone who has the empathy part of their brain is actually underdeveloped so this can be through um you know, the way they've been brought up. So, for example, the way that we actually learn empathy is by mimicking the facial expressions of our parents as babies. <laughs> um, so if we haven't had that interaction as growing up because the brain use, uh, loses its neuroplasticity as we get older, so we can't learn that empathy anymore, you know, past a certain age. Or there's obviously a physical issue with the, within the brain. So uh, when we have that, it means that everything that that person who's got that empathy part of the brain that's underdeveloped, every time they're trying to interact with something, it's almost like they're looking at objects. You know, it's almost like, OK, this is a pen. This is something I can use. And they look at people in that way because there's no empathy. There's no there's no emotional connection. There's no you know, you don't worry about a pen's welfare because there's no there's no connection there or nothing to empathize with with. And that's the way that narcissists tend to see the world. And the problem is with that is we talk about this level of programming and narcissists can be highly influential. You know, they tend to be in in leadership positions, management, you know, these these high-powered positions because they love to be able to have that power, which means that when they actually go into a relationship, they start conditioning their partner which is a very interesting thing to see. What we tend to find is when um, someone comes out of a narcissistic relationship, their trust within their own emotions or their own decisions is suddenly suddenly 10 times harder. You know, it almost takes them five minutes to go and pick what brand of milk they want from the supermarket. So this is why we tend to talk about, um, you know, narcissists healing from them, but also identifying them, because if you're in that relationship, there tends to be these highs and lows, which is called fractionation, which actually creates a higher bond with that person. Mm -hmm. So this means that uh, when you've got all the love bombing, you're on this massive high that feels better than absolutely Mm -hmm. anything in this world. And then boom, you have this withdrawal where suddenly they are, you know, withdrawing from you. They're calling you something. They're saying, Oh, you're so stupid to think this way. And this causes this, need and this desire to want to have that love bombing again so these relationships turn to be something that's so addictive you know you have people leaving the relationships and going oh gosh I don't know why I stayed that long or um uh, you know why did I love that person and they feel like um they they, they feel wrong within themselves because Mm -hmm. logically they know that relationship's wrong But emotionally, they're like, "Oh, give me more!" It's like the best junk food in the world, you know. So, what we tend to find is there's a few things that you can look out for when you're dating to see if someone is actually narcissistic. We kind of talked a little bit about the empathy part of um, you know how we learn empathy, and this is another way of actually how you can identify if someone's narcissistic or not. So, what we're looking for is that level of empathy. And we see that through facial expressions. So if we're telling like a really sad story, Mm -hmm. like absolutely Mm -hmm. devastatingly bad, Mm -hmm. we'll watch that person's facial expressions, you know, match ours and say, oh, you know, gosh, that was absolutely terrible. That was awful. Now, some narcissists are very highly intelligent and they will be able to mimic some of those facial expressions. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between an authentic expression and a non-authentic expression. So what we tend to find with is um, with inauthentic expressions, they will drop instantly off the face. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So a little <laughs> I have
2: so much I got to say and I can't hold it back anymore. So first Go off, I want to comment on in the beginning with you say with narcissists, not understanding empathy. I can relate that with. Uh, uh, psychologist Harry Harlow, where he did that experiment with uh, the the wired mother and the actual mother with these baby uh, rhesus monkeys, I believe that's what they were utilized, and they did that for like the majority of the the primate's lifespan. And as it got older, when it had its own kids, you could see the difference on how it treated its own kids. One pretty much, I think, ate their children who had the wired mother, and the other ones, you know, loved them the exact same thing over and with uh and when you said with learning uh with uh narcissists with them learning this just how to show empathy mm. how do they how do they pick that up and I need to know a little bit more about that
1: yeah, yeah. so the way they they pick that up and there's ways to, to spot if it's genuine or not inauthentic as well but um, The way that they pick that up is they almost look at people as a science experiment. You know, I was saying, okay, like, here's a pen. This is what I need to use. And a part of being able to use this well, well, I need to be able to take the top off. (laughs) I need to learn how to write with it. So the way that they will actually, you know, learn how to use something is by actually interacting with it and practicing different things. So it's usually around the teenage years they have this awareness of, okay, I'm different. I don't I don't react the same, I don't interact the same. Hmm. So they're actually looking at ways to be to be able to play with empathy. I mean, if you've ever watched a narcissist listen to someone say a victimized story from someone, they will lean in. It's almost predatory, like, okay, how can I use this information? And it's it's the way that they actually learn how to control and learn and play with pe- with people's behavior. It's almost like a cat and mouse situation. So, I, yeah, but.
2: that's that's interesting. Have you ever experienced or been in contact with a narcissist with good intentions rather than negative intentions?
1: I think this is the thing. It's like. I think there's probably even one that I've known that's, that's actually gone to therapy to be able to learn to be a better partner, mm. which, is, which is quite interesting because you think about it in terms of what drives us. It's our emotions, our emotions, the key thing that drives us, that actually influences us to do something. So, for example, even down to the types of um, things that we buy, like toothpaste. The reason we buy toothpaste is because we want to have fresh breath. Otherwise, we're going to feel we're going to feel like the emotion, you know, not confident. We're not going to feel like we want to project or talk near anyone or hug anyone or anything mm. like that because we feel like we feel gross. We feel like we're going to be um, uh, disapproved of or rejected or abandoned or or looked down upon. So uh, that's the, that level of emotions that are actually creating our experience. And uh, likewise, you know, the positive emotions, you know, to be able to have fresh breath where you've got more confidence. You want to connect with people. You feel more confident within yourself. You feel good. You feel like you're going to be approved of. So it's all these different emotions that are driving you to do whatever you want to do. If you don't have that level, level of empathy, you're not going to be that connected to the emotional side. So, for you, what's going to be the benefit of actually having that empathy with people? Well, all of a sudden, it's, there's no real benefit because mm-hmm. having empathy would mean that you'd have to think about someone else's um, rights and someone else's emotions versus your own needs. So, uh, my
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, hope on this is like, okay, well, when we have a look at what's going to motivate someone to be able to be better. Well, in those situations, it's going to be, you know, for a narcissist in particular, it's going to be control. It's going to be status. It's going to be um, the fear of being um, seen as someone who's wrong or rubbish or whatever it might be. So that's the way that we would actually be motivating a narcissist, not in terms of someone to be, you know, it'd be better for someone else. It's going to be something that's going to be driving behind them to um, to scare them into being better.
2: What if there's a possibility that maybe they're motivated, the narcissist, to actually understand the very thing they don't get, which is emotion.
1: Yeah, but what would there? there would have to be a better gain underneath that for them to be able to uh, to get something out of it. So whether it's to use it for for to manipulate someone better.
2: What if it's not to be singled out per se? Because I'm looking at it as if I was this type of person, I would feel like I'm exposed. I'm naked in the world and everybody can see it. So the very thing that I would be stressing about every day is to learn how to blend in, not to, not to manipulate. I'm sure that the tactics, the tactics that they gained in the process might be utilized to influence or persuade in, of course, their position of power at their profession or at their home life when they are trying to establish something good or to share something good that would help somebody in the long run. But I just think that kind of, that lens can put a different angle on the possibility of something much more than what's really being seen.
1: Yeah, but if you, if you think about it, I love, love that take. I think if you if you stretch that a bit further, you have the two different types of narcissists. You've got someone who's covert, who tends to be underhanded. So a covert narcissist tends to be a little bit more behind the scenes. They tend to be more like um, the, the hero figure. But they love to be able to be the victim. Like, oh, I'm no good at that. Oh, well, you are absolutely amazing at this. They're looking for that reassurance all the time, rather than the grandiose sort of um, narcissist that loves to be able to be in the spotlight and to be adored. Like, oh, yeah, I was just with, um, I don't know, try to think of someone famous, uh, I don't know, Trump last week or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they were trying to do something to be able to prove their status and prove their power. So that feeling of being, you know, naked per se is suddenly healed or suddenly looked after underneath this this vision of of a status, of power, of control, of someone that you should look up to. You know, there's a secret thing of them actually wanting to stand out or to get that reassurance that they're someone who's, you know, powerful, in control, has great status, or the covert narcissist, someone who's, uh, you know, looked after who's, um? you know, kind of, they, they tend to love to be able to be in that victim role where they have everyone going, oh, no, you're brilliant. No, don't be silly. You're absolutely fantastic. We did such a great job of that. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for that reassurance in slightly different ways.
2: That's an interesting take on that as far as with the reassurance. Is it, is it echoing? Test, test, test. That was weird. I was, like, picking up some, like, yeah. I hope it's not doing anything weird. I think it's picking up from my uh, headset. I don't know. It might be up a little higher than normal. I lost what I was saying. Shoot. <laughs> um, so with having this knowledge, we can arm um, single women and men, of course, everybody to go out into the dating world and we can look for not necessarily Narcissist, because we don't know for sure clinically if that's the root reason because of that as of yet. But to arm people to get out there and to have confidence in themselves again. Of course, once you have this knowledge, it does not instill confidence, but that comes with understanding your past and being okay with who you are. But once you've done that, you have this knowledge and you can look and see who is being real and authentic versus someone who's not because that's what we really want is we want somebody that we can connect with that has already been and done their past and it's not with them on either present because we've done the hard work we want somebody that has already done it but how do we how do we find those people
1: yeah, I think the important part is understanding what you're looking for. So like you said, once you've gone through that thing of being able to heal, to be able to be in the place where you can actually enjoy that relationship, because otherwise if you suddenly have this belief that you don't deserve love or you don't you can't have the relationship you want or whatever it might be, you can end up going in self-sabotaging patterns. And once you're able to see people in terms of you know, seeing that they're being truthful, seeing that they're being open, you know, seeing that there's someone who's actually aligned with you, you know, you're actually then able to see the truth in that person. That's why I really love about this work is it, it, it's not about, you know, manipulating or influencing. It's about seeing that person for who they are and making an informed decision of saying, okay, well, yes, this person can actually work really well with me. So the, the, the step just slightly before that. Is around compatibility. Now, I think the most important thing around this is actually understanding who you are compatible with because so many people go out and they do this like Russian roulette version of dating. Like, okay, I'm just going to put myself out there and I'm just going to see who takes interest and just hope that there's someone aligned with me. Mm -hmm. Well, dating doesn't work like that. You know, it doesn't work. You know, (laughs) you think about it, you know, predators don't just go, okay, well, you know, I'll wait for them to come to me. You Mm -hmm. know, there's that element there. So it's having that clarity of actually who is right for you. And we take people through a compatibility matrix. So we've identified for our research six elements that are super important when it comes to compatibility. Because this is the equivalent of saying, okay, I'm going to go and take a car journey. I want to make sure that I'm putting the right postcode in the, or zip code over in the US, um, in the the sat-nav to make sure that we're going in the right direction. That's our overall goals. Um, I want to make sure that the car that we're riding in is something that's aligned with both of us, like the lifestyle. I want to make sure that the music that we're listening together is also something that we both enjoy. So, like the beliefs and values and the rules that we put in place within our lives. So we're able to enjoy that car journey together. So this kind of just changes the dynamic of how a, a relationship can actually be pulled together in a way that it can last, you know, long term, versus, well, actually, we're putting in different zip codes, we're listening to different music. And we don't even like the transport that we've got for ourselves. That's when we've got issues. It's finding people with that alignment and recognizing those people. And I actually, actually work with my clients in terms of creating a dating plan based on their compatibility matrix because, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach fits nobody well. And you know, I might turn around to one person and say, "Yeah, do you know what? You're better off actually dating online, or you're you're actually better on um, dating organically. And if you go to these groups, you're going to more likely find someone who's aligned with you. So it's really going into that in depth process of understanding who's compatible, what's going to be really important in their relationship, and how they can go ahead and use that to meet the right person for them."
2: With you referencing the the. Car- Doing it again with the car radio. All right. So, what if that's just them engaging with their own identity and kind of testing it? And because we, I would say, we all have these kind of social masks that we would wear, whether it's at our profession, when it's dating, whether it's uh, intimate or just our real selves. But when we're trying to Figure out ways to slowly take off each mask till we start to show our real self. What if that's them trying to meet? Well, I tried this guy because he had these these traits that I thought I wanted, but I really don't. So now I'm on the complete opposite and I'm engaging with this person to see if whether or not I can be myself.
1: Yeah. So this is why it's so important to do the work in the very beginning when it comes to healing and really finding your alignment with yourself. So we actually do um, a step within the program, which we talk about creating a life that's worth sharing. And that's very much around, you know, creating this life that you feel so aligned with, that you feel so committed to where you're able to enjoy that with someone else. Now, it's not to say that that vision won't change, because when we go into a healthy relationship, and I say healthy for a reason, we actually interact with each other in a way that we grow together, which is so, so important. In unhealthy relationships, we stagnate and we do not grow. We only yes. grow apart from them all of a sudden. So mm. in a healthy Relationship, we actually learn to interact in a way that we challenge each other's beliefs, that we actually open each other's eyes to different um, perspectives, where you can actually grow together as a couple. So there's that element that's really important to have, uh, obviously within a relationship. So that's obviously really important in terms of you know feeling happy, because when we think about the things that we actually need in terms to be happy within ourselves you know, personal growth and knowing that we're moving forward in, in, in any direction is so important to us. What about and trying to
2: get our partners to do that if they're not in that same direction? What if we're already with somebody and we have this understanding and mentality but our partner doesn't? How do we get them to want to not be stagnant because you're, you're either degrading or improving, but how do you get them to want to improve?
1: How do we get them? Now, this is the thing. This is the thing. It so sounds narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I'm glad you got it. No, it doesn't sound narcissistic. I think we all go through that That element of when we're enjoying something so good, we're like, come on, come and enjoy this with me.
0: Yes.
1: The thing is, is with relationships, and this is where it becomes really important, is, is to love the person where they are in this present moment. Because often what we find with with um, couples, we tend to find that they fall in love with the potential of the person and the potential of the relationship. And all of a sudden, you know, the main issues um, in terms of arguments and disagreements in relationships is they're not matching their expectations of their partner. Yes. <laughs> and this can cause issues. And I have this thing of um, the way to actually create a healthy relationship. is something that I call the four Cs. So I created this framework because I found this was something that just worked really well. When I had a look at all the successful relationships, they had these four key elements. And obviously, the first one was compatibility. We've kind of gone into that. The next one is communication because you haven't got communication or good open. Honest communication, it. Mm, agree. Um, the next one is consideration, mostly being considerate of each other's emotions. And the last one that I absolutely love is collaboration. And uh, this, I, I had so many people talking to me about this horrible word called compromise. And how many mm-hmm. times do we hear about, oh, you know, you need to compromise? Hell now. no.
2: Never. Oh, Never. No.
1: Exactly. And this is why I love the word collaborate. Now, collaborate, there's a lot under the surface of this because it means that you need both um, partners to be completely um, accountable for their side of the road, their side of their journey, their identity, their inner work, their emotions, their actions, all these different things. Because if they're not accountable, this is what's going to bleed into the relationship. If they're not financially accountable, all of a sudden that's going to bleed into the relationship and cause issues. If they're not emotionally accountable, that's going to bleed into the relationship and cause issues. So it's it's being accountable, being that whole person, but only from that place. You can truly collaborate together in order to get what's best for the overall relationship. That means that, you know, if I say, oh, you, I hate it when you say that thing and that person goes, you know, partner goes, um, I don't say that thing. You've got nothing to collaborate with, which is no good. That's why the accountability is so important when it comes to a relationship.
2: Okay, so what if that's, I love that, that, I mean, this is eye-opening because I never thought of it from this perspective by the potential rather than the person that's actually there right in front of you. Mm. What if they are in that predicament? Is it too late for them to fix it?
1: I think this is a thing we've got. This we've got this element of, you know, needing to fix something. It's almost like asking yourself, "What is it that you need?" Like any time that I look at my partner and I feel napped <laughs> off, you it, know, it? it's like, "Oh gosh, what's he doing now?" I will actually turn around to myself and say, "Okay, what is it that I actually need? What am I? What am I feeling angry over? What is it that I actually need or feel the need to change within him?" Because actually, it's nothing to do with him. It's my thoughts and my perception of what's going on with him. And I had this, yeah, I had this like amazing coach who just turned around to me and said, I don't love my wife. I love the thoughts that I have about my wife. And it's like, you know, that's just so, so true. It's our perception of what we're actually overlaying on that relationship.
2: I just wanted everybody to have a moment to let that sink in uh, that <laughs> you can't get that anywhere other than your transformation station. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> wow. That, that really, it it hits you right on the head on, Hey, am I doing something wrong here? That makes me just want to question everything right now, but I can't do am in a podcast. But for those that, want to learn more, how can they how can they get in touch with you and find out more information?
1: Yeah, they can go ahead, they can check out our website. So that's lovewithintelligence.com. We've also got a completely value-packed training on that on how to meet the one as well so we go through things like the compatibility matrix how to actually go through the steps to go into a committed relationship and also how to build a long-lasting relationship within just that training
2: that sounds really interesting i'll be sure to link everything in the show notes is there anything you want to let everybody know put out into the world before i let you go
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, when it comes to uh, having the relationship that you want, it's really important to uh, be in tune with yourself, but also think about who you are becoming in the process. Because I love this saying of like, before you can have, you must become. And I think it's so true in terms of the way that you can actually enjoy life, the way you're showing up for yourself and the way that you're actually working towards your aspirations and goals within your life and relationships.
0: Yes, that's, that's good. It's
2: really good. Well, that, yes. So, <laughs> Lily Walford, I appreciate you coming on your Transformation Station.
1: And you, thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to your Transformation Station rediscovering your true identity and purpose on this planet. We hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. In the meantime, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at YTS The Podcast. We'll be back soon. Until then, this is your transformation station signing off.